All right, I have the privilege of getting to share God's word with you this morning. Pastor Gary is actually preaching in Ukaipa this morning for a good friend of his at Oak Valley Church. So they're there ministering this morning, and we've been praying for them already. But I have a specific message that I want to share with you today. So if you've got your Bible, meet me in 1 Kings, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 22. I want to bring you a message today called Misaligned Alliances. Misaligned Alliances. It's kind of a funny title, and I'm going to be really honest with you today. This message that I want to bring you, it's more of a practical message than it is an inspirational message. And for me as a preacher, those of you who have been around for a while, you know I'm kind of an inspiration guy. Like, Scripture hits me, and I get excited about it, and I want to share it in an inspirational way. And I hope to do my best in doing that today, but I also want to share a message with you today that I believe can be very, very practical for every single one of our lives. And, you know... That phrase, misaligned alliances, sounds kind of funny. If you look at the word alliance and you just go and get a definition for that word alliance, Webster defines it this way, one of the definitions, a relationship in which people, groups, or countries agree to work together. They agree to work together. The root word of the word alliance is, of course, the word ally. So you become allies with somebody else because you're going to work together to pursue a common purpose. And I got to thinking about alliances and the kind of alliances that we have throughout the course of our lives, and I thought of a few. And some of these are pretty general, and others are pretty specific. But let's just name a few of these real quick. I think the first alliances that we all experience in our lives, outside of like our family of origin, is when we make new friends. When we're kids and we make new friends, we, we strike up relationships, we like the person we're speaking with, we have some things in common, and so we build a bond of friendship. And it doesn't necessarily have purpose attached to it, other than the fact that you just like each other, you enjoy hanging out together. But over time, some friendships stick and other friendships part. Why? Because you have common values and common means in place. And you can say, hey, we have this in common, we're on the same path, so therefore we have an alliance in this friendship. I think that's one of the first alliances that we find in our life. But let's go a little bit deeper. Then there are some things that are more than just friendships. They're partnerships in one way or another. I was thinking about this because I, I can name some kind of like adult partnerships that I've gotten into in my adult life. But some of the first ones that I remember getting into were like sports teams that I played on when I was a kid. Why? Because you're all on one team. You're an alliance pursuing a common purpose of winning the game. And one thing that you find when you play in sports or you're a part of some sort of you know, fun team when you're a kid is that the best teams are the ones who can come together, find common values, common ethics, and common means to pursue that purpose that they had in common of winning the game that's in front of them. So these are partnerships or alliances that we start early in life. But what about this? Later on you reach adulthood or maybe right before adulthood. You get a job. You're a part of a team. So in the workspace, you are now a co-worker. You're a co-laborer with somebody else. You are a part of an alliance. And this business endeavor, this place that you work, is there to make money. That's the pursuit. That's the common purpose. So there are values. There are ethics. There are means that are instituted and put in place so that you together as an alliance can pursue the purpose that's in front of you. Or maybe you're an entrepreneur, you're not the co-worker, you're the boss. Maybe you have business partners, you come together, you have a pursuit or a purpose that's in front of you. And the thing that you have to find if you want this to be a successful partnership is common means, common ethics, and common values. 
I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the last few months of Christians in the church who have some sort of story of regret where they look back at a partnership they entered into and said, we had a common purpose, but we did not have common values. We did not have common ethics, and we did not have common means of pursuing that purpose that we held in common. These are different kinds of alliances. But what about this? What about romantic relationships? Here's what's funny about romantic relationships. Romantic relationships are a lot different than the other things that I just talked about. Those other things, you can often identify the purpose when you get into the, into the thing, into the alliance, right? We got into this business. We're working here so that the company can make money. Romantic relationships are often the opposite because you don't identify common purpose up front. You just recognize that you like each other. Oh, you're so good looking. I so enjoy being with you. And that's what's really interesting, sadly, is how many romantic relationships end up failing because as much as we like each other, along the way we find out that we are not headed in the same direction. We'll come back to that later. Marriage. Now you've really entered into covenant, okay? This is no longer practice. Like, you're in the game now. And sometimes marriages fail because... You find out along the way, as much as you, we entered into this agreement, into this covenant, into this marriage, we enjoy time together, we really like each other in a lot of different ways, but down the line, we found out that our lives were kind of going like this, because in the beginning, we never established common purpose, another kind of alliance that we enter into. And then, what about this one? Church. Church is an alliance. It's not just you or just me aligning our lives with God or being allies with God. We are an alliance together where God calls us into his family. He places us in his church, and together he's called us to pursue the purposes that he has in the earth for his kingdom. So this right here, the church, is an alliance. Within this one local church, our mission statement is to connect people with God and connect people with people. So together we find the values, the ethics, and the means by which we do that. And if you want the bridge to be your home church, then really that means that that mission, those values, ethics, and means have called your name. And you're like, I can get on board with that. And together we can pursue the purposes of God. These are different alliances that we enter into in life. But let me give you something to think about. And if you're taking notes, you don't have to write this whole thing down because this is a bit of a long statement, I understand. But let me just say this and put it out there at the beginning of the message. An alliance can be formed by two or more parties to pursue a common purpose. The purpose might be good, the purpose might be bad, but the true character of an ally is usually revealed by the means which they are willing to use to achieve their purpose. Does that make sense to everybody? How many people have ever entered into some sort of alliance where you were headed in a direction of purpose only to discover that the person you partnered with does not have the same values that you do? Many of us have been there in one way or another. So all of that sets the stage for the story I want to jump into today in 1 Kings chapter 22. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give you the first point of the message if you're taking notes, the first thought before we even read any scripture. You ready for this? If you're taking notes, here's the first thought for the message today. Number one, be slow to form alliances with ungodly partners. Be slow to form alliances with ungodly partners. The background of this story in 1 Kings chapter 22 is Israel, and this is, a, this is something that we would take a lot of time to fully explain, but the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms at this point in the story, in the narrative. And what we see is that you have Israel, the ten tribes of Israel that make up one kingdom in the north, two tribes that make up Judah 
in the south. Judah is Benjamin and Judah, those two tribes, and they have two different kings ruling over those two kingdoms. Yet they are essentially of one people group, the people of God, the nation of Israel. What happens in this story is that one king comes to talk to the other king. The king of Israel, the northern kingdom, his name is Ahab. If you know your Bible very well, Ahab is said in two different places was potentially the most evil king that Israel ever had. He had his moments of repentance where he came back into God's mercy and God's graces. But two places in 1 Kings say that Israel never had a more evil king than King Ahab. And then Judah, of course, was governed by a king, a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He made a lot of mistakes, but his heart was always toward God. These two kingdoms are separated, and they're being ruled by an ungodly man in Israel and a godly man in Judah. And 1 Kings shows a picture, 1 Kings 22 paints a picture of these two kings coming together to try to form an alliance and find common purpose, only to discover that they don't have the same values and they don't have the same ethics. If we form alliances with ungodly partners, we might not be able to see the mess that is on the horizon in front of us. So once again, let me say it to you. Be slow to form alliances with ungodly partners. So let's read 1 Kings 22 in verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel, Ahab. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth, or Ramoth in Gilead, is ours, a land that rightfully belongs to them? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat of Judah, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth, Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Watch this, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So right off the bat, Ahab jumps out, makes him an offer and says, I want to form an alliance with you to go and take this land that belongs to us, this place called Ramoth at Gilead. And so Jehoshaphat quickly responds and says, I am as you are, my men are as your men, my horses as your horses. Here's the second point I want to make to you if you're taking notes this morning, talking about misaligned alliances. Number two, be slow to form alliances with people who go looking for fights. Be slow to form alliances with people who go looking for fights. Now, some of you know your Bible really well, and you're going to get ahead of me right here, but stay with me for a minute, and we're going to address what some of you were thinking, okay? <laughs> That's the fun part of being a preacher is the people that you know are getting ahead of you during the message. Be slow to form alliances with people who go looking for fights. At the beginning of verse 1, it tells us that there have been three years where there's been no war between Israel and Syria. In other words, they are currently living in a time of peace. Israel might be governed by an ungodly king, but at least they have peace in the land right now and they're not fighting any of their neighbors. So there's a time of peace that's happening right now. But here's what I want you to see. When choosing to go to war, we have to consider the consequences of that decision. How will it affect me and how will it affect those around me? Sometimes we enter into partnerships, and there are people that want to go and they want to fight. But I've learned a lesson over the years that when you enter into a partnership or an alliance with somebody who likes to fight, you're going to end up with a black eye yourself at some point in the game. And we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about where Ahab was going with this when he wanted to form this alliance. But let me give you four thoughts really quickly from Proverbs 
about the person who pursues conflict, okay? This is Proverbs 14 and 29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive has a hasty temper and exalts folly. This is Proverbs 15 and 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays or quiets contention. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Man, if someone had just told Jehoshaphat that proverb right up front, he would have been like, I ain't even getting myself into this. And then Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. See, Ahab was an evil king. He had already gotten himself into all kinds of trouble. He's the guy that was married to this woman that we know as Jezebel, perhaps the most evil woman throughout the history of the Bible. She got him into so much hot water. And Ahab was always finding himself in trouble. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I said some of you are already getting ahead of me. You're wondering, well, why did Ahab want to go take this piece of land anyway? Didn't it already belong to him? That's correct. This land, Ramoth at Gilead, that they want to go and possess, it did technically already belong to Israel. But if you go back and read through the early parts of 1 Kings, when Israel was fighting Syria, God told Ahab very, very clearly, I want you to go in and don't just kill the Syrian armies. I want you to destroy everybody in the land and make sure that you inhabit all of it. And he was disobedient to the word of the Lord. He left people behind. And as a result, a piece of land, an area that was supposed to rightfully belong to them, was inhabited by somebody else. And if Jehoshaphat had been wise and sought wise counsel at the beginning of this conversation, he would have known that the reason Ahab was in this position was because he was disobedient in the first place. This is probably not somebody I want to form an alliance with. And now they've had three years of peace. Is this a wise decision? Should we ask God first of whether or not we should go and fight a battle right now? Your people are living in peace. We need to count the cost of how it's going to affect you and all of these people. Can I just say something real quick? Maybe you're here today and you're a business owner or you have authority in some alliance in your life right now. You know, so often when we think about people in power or people in positions of authority, we think about them wielding their power. And right here you kind of get a picture of Ahab almost wanting to wield his power. But the thing about authority is authority is not so much about power. It's about responsibility. When I make these decisions, what's going to happen to the people that I'm responsible for? And if you're in a position of authority in in your workplace, maybe you're a business owner, or maybe when you just look at the children in your family, the decisions that we make aren't about us wielding power. It's about the things which we are responsible for. So I have to weigh the consequences of these decisions and know how is this going to affect those who I am responsible for. And it's almost as if Ahab isn't taking any of this into consideration. But here's what's crazy. We see there at the very end of verse 4, That Jehoshaphat replies by saying, I am as you are. My people are as your people, and my horses are as your horses. In other words, we see that Jehoshaphat has now given his word to Ahab. He's committed. He's in. So look what happens next. Verse 5. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Do you know what's just happened here? Jehoshaphat has got the cart before the horse. He's already given his word. He's already formed the alliance. And now he says, perhaps we should ask God about whether or not this is the right thing to do. He's gotten it backwards. He puts the cart before the horse. And now Jehoshaphat finds himself in a bit of a pickle because he's entered into this alliance with an ungodly man. And he's about to find out how big of a mess 
he's gotten himself into. And if you're taking notes, here's the third thought that I want to give you before we go forward in this passage. Number three, when considering an alliance, get a word before you give your word. When considering an alliance, get a word before you give your word. What does that mean? What I'm saying is if you are given an opportunity to form an alliance with somebody, an opportunity comes your way, a partnership is kind of laid out there before you, get a word from God as to whether or not this is a good idea before you give your word to them and agree to come into that alliance. Jehoshaphat gets it backward and suddenly he's in and he doesn't even know what he's gotten himself into. I've told this story before as an illustration but I find myself coming back to it a lot because this was a big turning point in my life. And in the moment, I didn't realize it. But about 11 years ago, I guess, I was working a full-time job. I was working for a company that sold a private line of scuba diving gear. And this was the job that I had as I was pursuing pastoral ministry and serving in my local church. And I was a newlywed. I had been married for about a year. And the company I worked for was great. The guys that I worked for were great people to work for. And we were thinking about branching out and starting another location in South Florida. And we knew that we could sell product if we were there closer to a lot of those customers that were buying from us. So we thought about opening another business there. And I had heard the whispers of this. I knew it might happen, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. And during this time, I knew that ministry was my calling and pastoral ministry was my calling. But let me tell you, we had no money. We could barely pay our bills. It was hard. We were newlyweds. And we were, it felt like the output was a whole lot bigger than, you know, what you receive back in ministry and work and everything else. And we were just full on with all of those things. And it was a real stressful season of life. And I remember starting to talk to my wife. And I remember very specifically, I was on the phone with her one day, like on my lunch break. And I was so exhausted on a Monday from having a full on Sunday where I would preached in the morning and preached at night at two different locations at our, our previous church. And I was on the phone with my wife and just like, on the edge of tears because I was just exhausted. And I told her, I was like, I'm just ready to do something else. This can't last forever. And I just want someone to talk to me about the future. I just want to know what's next. And it felt like it was just a few days after that, that the bosses, the guys that I worked for, I was about to leave work one day and they called me into the office and they said, have you heard us talking about Florida? And I said, yeah, I've heard about it. They said, we're thinking very seriously about starting this other division there in this other location. And I said, okay. They said, we can see how it would work, how the operation would run, what it would look like, and how it would go. The only thing we don't know is who's going to run it. And I'm like, okay. And they said, what do you think? And I'm like, what? And they said, what do you think about moving to Florida? And I said, where? They said, Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. They said, you know, it's there on the coast. Not, it's about, I think it's a little bit north of Miami. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm still listening. They said, we would pay for this. We would pay for this. All the things that we don't already have. This is a career opportunity. This is a long-term kind of decision. This would kind of become your life. But hey, it's an opportunity. And for the first time in my whole life, as I had spoken to my wife, somebody was talking to me about the future. It meant the world to me. It was everything. And suddenly, I, in that very moment, had I just not listened to anybody, not talked to anybody about this, I could have disregarded everything else that I was doing and said, I'll go and do it because at least there's a promise for the future there. I could have so easily just said, I'm in. Let's go. Let's do it. But the wise thing, of course, to do is to seek the word of the Lord before you give your word to this alliance. So, I went home and I talked to my wife, and before I could get the word from the Lord, I got the word from my wife. And I come home and I'm all excited. I'm like, babe, you're not going to believe this. 
we got this great opportunity. It's in Fort Lauderdale. It's super nice. It's South Florida. It's great. It's this cool thing. No state tax. Uh, they'll pay for this. They'll pay for that. Da, 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 da. All of these things. And I'm going on and on and on. And she's sitting there looking at me, totally disinterested, carrying on with other things. And she's like, okay. And I was like, what do you mean, okay? And I was like, do you understand what's being offered to us? Like, it's a future. It's an opportunity. If this thing takes off, like, we could do really well there. It would be awesome. And she says, why would we do that? And I was like, why would we do that? Because we've got to pay the rent next week, and I don't know how we're going to pay it. Why would we do that? They're going to pay for this. It's going to look like that. It would be awesome. It would be great. And she goes, yeah, but there's just one problem. And I said, what? And she says, you're not called to work in the scuba diving industry for the rest of your life. Now, that was, that was the word from the Lord that I already knew in my heart. But in that moment, because I was tired, because we didn't have any money, I could have really easily said yes to that alliance and disregarded what God had for our future. And I'll tell you something. There are times in our lives where we find ourselves in moments of weakness or fatigue or stress where we can easily say yes to an alliance when God has something better for our lives. We have to get a word from God before we give our word to somebody else and step in to an alliance that God doesn't want us to enter into. So look what happens next. Look at verse 6. Let's keep going in the story. Verse 6, then the king of Israel, Ahab, gathered the prophets together. This is where the story gets really good. Then the king gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to him, watch these words very specifically, shall I go against Ramath Gilead to fight, or... Shall I refrain? Now, let me put this in context for you real quick, and then we'll get into the key words that I just mentioned. But it says that there were 400 men or 400 prophets that came. Bible scholars differ hugely on who these men really were, because if you go back a few chapters, we see that Elijah killed like 450 prophets of Baal. So we don't know if these are remaining false prophets of the false god Baal, or maybe these are 400 prophets of God who ain't getting it right. We don't know. We're not really sure. But watch what happens next. So they said to Ahab, go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Look at the words they use. Go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, this can be very confusing and very misleading because they are speaking in the name of the Lord, right? They're giving instruction in the name of the Lord. These prophets are saying that God is going to give Ahab and Israel victory. But here's what you need to see. When these prophets speak up the way this is recorded in the original writings, the word that is used here for Lord is the word Adonai. That's fine. That word is used for God in the Old Testament several times. But if you take the singular version of that word Adonai, which is Adon, it's also used for man, like my Lord, the King, over and over again in Scripture. But look what happens next, because this reveals who these prophets of God are. Are talking to that word Adonai, it's like a, a surname almost. It's like a formal name as we're referring, like a title for God or for the Lord. Like he's distant, like he's far away. But look what happens next and how Jehoshaphat replies. Jehoshaphat said in verse 7, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here? In other words, I don't trust anything these guys are saying. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord? Well, hold on. These guys just said that the Lord says, so what's to say that they're not the prophets? Of the Lord. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? If you look back in the original writings and you dig this out, what you see is that Jehoshaphat uses a different word for Lord. He doesn't say Adonai as if to refer to God with Lord or title as if he's distant. He uses the word Yahweh. 
And you go back to Genesis, this is the personal way that God identifies himself to Moses. It's the personal way that God identifies himself to his chosen people. It's the personal way that God comes down and reveals himself as a loving, intimate, close, heavenly father. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not someone who's just associated with a religion or a belief system. He's someone who wants to speak purposefully and give direction to your life. And Jehoshaphat realizes, I don't know who you guys are hearing from, But that's not the God that I know. Is there not a prophet here of Yahweh? I know I'm whispering that and it sounds funny. But like if you go back and you actually spell this out, the word we get Jehovah from, it's a spoken way of saying Yahweh. Because it's literally Y-H-W-H in the original language and you look at it. So we go forward and look at what happens next. And Jehoshaphat is having to recognize and trying to figure out which is the right thing to do here. Because I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do. And so in verse 8, Ahab replies when he says, is there truly a real prophet of God here? And watch what he says. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man. His name is Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But, watch this, but I hate him. Why? Because he does not prophesy good concerning me. Only evil. Now this is where our ears should perk up in the story. And this is the fourth thing I want to tell you if you're taking notes this morning. Number four, misaligned alignments. Number four, when considering an alliance, seek wise counsel that will tell you the truth. When considering an alliance, seek wise counsel that will tell you the truth. There's an old proverb, I don't even know who to attribute this to, but I've found myself thinking about it many, many times, and it goes like this. The wise man wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. That messes with me a little bit because I've been through things in my life that have oftentimes left me like emotionally scarred or emotionally fragile. And when I have to walk through difficult seasons and I know that the right way to go or the truth is in the difficult decision, I can often avoid the difficult decision because it's going to mess with my heart. It's going to mess with my emotions. It's going to mess with my mind. But if I want to get to the right place, I've got to do the right thing, even if it's hard. And I have to surround myself with people that will tell me the truth. I don't know about you. Maybe my favorite movie ever is the movie The Godfather. So just entertain me here for a moment. But in The Godfather, the first one, Tom Hagen, you know, he goes to visit the Hollywood producer in Hollywood. It's the one where they find the horse's head in the bed, you know what I'm saying? Anyway. And he says to him, he says, Mr. Corleone is a man who insists on hearing bad news first. I love that because I don't like to hear bad news. I don't like it when people tell me bad news. But sometimes bad news is the best news. It might not be what I want to hear, but it's what I need to hear because it's going to get me to the right place. And Jehoshaphat's looking at this saying, dude, you've surrounded yourself with yes men. These aren't prophets of God. These are people that tell you what you want to hear. So here's the question. If you're in a position of authority, or maybe you're just making decisions for your daily life and your family, do you have people in your world that can say no to you? Do you have people in your life that can say no to you? It's important that we understand we've got to be surrounded by people that can say no to us. True accountability is surrounding yourself with people who can say no to you. King Jehoshaphat realizes that he's entered into a bad alliance because this guy's never gotten godly counsel from the outset. When he makes decisions, he doesn't seek godly counsel. He's listening to people that will tell him 
what he wants to hear. So let's read on. Let's keep going. We're not going to go a whole lot further in the passage. But look at this. Second half of verse 8. So Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. The new living here says, that's no way for a king to speak. And then verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, okay, then go and bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. In other words, go get this man of God, this prophet of Yahweh, and bring him here so he can give us clarity on what to do. Now here, here's what you've got to catch. He says to, him, to an officer, bring me Micaiah, the son of Imla. Why did he have to go tell an officer to bring Micaiah to him? Because most Bible scholars, if you go back and read through this, maintain, scholars maintain, scholars say that Micaiah was most likely locked up in prison. So in other words, there's 400 false prophets who can tell him what he wants to hear, but the one guy who's going to tell him what God is saying is locked up in prison. Sometimes we can take the voices of truth and lock them up because we don't like what they are telling us. And I can be just as guilty of this as anybody because, like I said earlier, sometimes I don't want to do the good thing or the, the hard thing that's hard to hear, the thing that seems difficult, the thing that seems challenging. I don't want to go and do that. It's hard to hear. So I hear these voices of truth, and I'm like, ah, oh, that hurts. I don't want to deal with that. So what do I do? I take them, and I lock them up, and I throw away the key as not to hear about it anymore. But there's going to come a time in my life that if I want to find God's best things for my life, I have to go find that key, I have to open up that cell, and I have to let the truth out and let it speak into my life. Because right here, Jehoshaphat recognizes if we're just going to ignore what God wants us to do, then we're not going to find ourselves in God's blessing. We're not going to find ourselves in God's favor. Even if it's difficult, we've got to listen to what the man of God would have us do. I got to thinking about this a little bit. And being surrounded with voices that only tell us what we want to hear, it's so sad the way that we, and man, as Christians, we get sucked into this. We live in a world today where we live in our own echo chambers. We take people's opinions about things that are happening in this world, things that are happening in our state, things that are happening in our nation, and we don't take in anybody else's thoughts or anybody else's opinions or anybody else's experience. We only surround ourselves with the echo chamber of people telling us what we want to hear because it's what we already know and what we already think. And please don't disagree with me or I will cancel you. And what's really sad about it is that we kind of treat church that way now too. We find the church that will preach the message we like. Not the one that challenges. It might not even be the one that we need. It's just the one that we like. The one that conforms to our worldview as it already is. We find the voices online, on podcasts, on YouTube, that conform to the worldview that we already have, rather than allowing our world and our life to be conformed to the truth of God's word. I'll tell you what, we've got to be really, really careful that we don't ever find ourselves listening to voices that only tell us what we want to hear. There will come a time where they will not endure sound doctrine, but will have itchy ears. They will go looking for voices and people that will tell them what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. And if I get to a place where I start rejecting the voices that I need to hear and only surround myself myself with the voice that I want to hear, I'm in a really, really, really dangerous place. All right, let's keep going forward, okay? We're not too far from finishing, but there's something to be said about finding that key and opening up that prison cell and letting the truth out and letting it have rain in our life. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite statements that Jesus ever made, Jesus said this in John 8, and we often misunderstand it. Jesus said these words in John 8 and verse 31. If you abide in me 
in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I love this because a lot of us, we think that freedom is going and doing what we want, what makes sense to us, what feels good to us, and it kind of conforms to our pre-existing worldview. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you want to find freedom, then you have to find my truth, and that truth will set your life free. If we truly want to find freedom, we've got to find God's truth, and it's only found in God's word. I wrote this down because this thought came to my mind, but when fear is Lord, freedom is captive. When truth is Lord, freedom reigns. And sometimes truth can come in a form that I might not want to hear and doesn't feel good to me in the here and now, but guess what? Truth will set you free. If you want to find freedom, you want to find God's purpose for your life, don't lock up the truth. No, no, no. Let it free and let it have free reign because it's going to bring freedom to your life as well. Don't be afraid of the truth. Now, in closing this morning, we've talked about misaligned alliances and ways in which we can make good decisions before we get into alliances, even potentially ungodly alliances. If you read the rest of this story, here's what's crazy about it. This guy, Micaiah, this prophet of God, a prophet of Yahweh, he comes and he finds himself surrounded by 400 false prophets and two kings. And he stands there and they ask him, what shall we do? And he begins to mock these other false prophets. And even sarcastically looks back at Ahab and says, just do what they tell you to do because that's all you want anyway is for them to tell you what you want to hear. And then eventually he tells them, he says, okay, you want to know what to do? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Go ahead, go to war, but you're going to die. And it's already been prophesied previously that Ahab will die in battle. And so they go to battle. But here's the crazy thing. Everything that we just read and all of those decision points that should have guided Jehoshaphat in his decision was kind of a big charade because before he could ask any of those key questions, he already gave his word and entered into that alliance. And every time I've ever read through this passage of scripture, the one thing that baffles me the most is the fact that together they go into battle to fight the Syrians. And I'm like, Jehoshaphat, why in the world are you getting yourself into this battle? Every single marker, every single thing that's popped up, there's like nothing but red flags in this story that say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But guess what? He has to do it anyway because he already gave his word. So they go into battle, and Micaiah says, I had a vision from God, and what I saw, Ahab, was that your soldiers, they're like sheep scattered without a shepherd in the hills. In other words, what he was saying was, their shepherd is gone because you're going to die, Ahab. That's going to be the result of this alliance and this battle. And so Ahab eventually gets Jehoshaphat to go in his kingly robes, and Ahab says, I'm going to hide. I'm going to put on something else. I'm going to hide. And what we see is that actually it looks like coincidence, but it's all ordained. There's a stray arrow that comes, and it kills Ahab, and he bleeds to death, and it fulfills the prophecy that was laid out that Ahab would die. Now, here's the point that I want to make. As I read through the rest of this passage, I'm looking at it like, Jehoshaphat, how did you get yourself in this position? You're going to go to battle? You could die. Your men could die. This could totally jeopardize the future of your kingdom. Why in the world would you do that? But in the end, what's crazy is, Jehoshaphat, and for the most part, his army, is spared. See, it probably would have been more wise not to form that alliance with Ahab, but I think there was something honorable in the fact that he honored the word that he had given him in the first place. But not only that, Jehoshaphat was a man whose heart was toward God. And when you get to the end of the story, you see that God has spared his life. And here's the big point that I want to make to you. This is the fifth and final point of the message today. And I hope that this one hits home with everybody. 
Number five, even if you have entered into an ungodly alliance, God has grace for those whose heart is toward him. Because as we talk about all of this today, you might say, well, Zach, I've, I can name two or three ungodly alliances that I'm in right now. An alliance, a partnership, a relationship that's going in the wrong direction. This thing is not headed in the right direction. I've already found myself in the spot, and I don't know what to do. What we see from this story with Jehoshaphat is that God spares his life. Why? Because God gives grace to those whose heart is toward him. And I know when you hear a message like this, you'd say, okay, that's great if I hadn't already made that decision, Zach. Do you know how many years down the road I am in this partnership? you know how many years down the road I am in this alliance? You know how many years down the road I am? Do you know how big the hole is I've dug that I'm trying to climb out of because I made an unwise decision? I didn't seek godly counsel years ago when trying to figure this thing out. I know you might feel that way today, but let me tell you something. If we will just turn our hearts toward God, he has grace for you, even if you found yourself in the middle of a misaligned alliance. Maybe you're here in the room today or you're watching online and maybe you're carrying the regret of some kind of ungodly alliance. God has grace. Maybe you're carrying the hurt that came as a result of that alliance and you can't get back on your feet. Guess what? God has grace. Maybe you're trying to climb your way out of the hole that you dug because of an ungodly alliance. God has grace. Maybe it was a failed friendship that still hurts to this day right here. And you say, there's a void in my life. There's a missing piece in my heart from that friendship that I lost and I've just felt hurt ever since. Guess what? God has grace. Maybe it was a failed business venture or an endeavor of some sort in business. God has grace. Maybe it was a failed marriage. Maybe you're still trying to figure it out. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now that feels as though it's failing and you're like, I feel like the paths are going this way. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you exactly what to do. You might not have all the answers just yet, but turn your heart toward God because he has grace. Maybe there was a failure in marriage or in some other relationship years ago that hurt you to the core. And all these years later, you just feel like you can't get back on your feet. God has grace. But he extends that grace to those whose hearts are turned toward him. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're about to make a big decision. You came to church today and you're thinking about the decision that's in front of you and felt good about everything until you heard this message. You're like, well, I'm not so sure about this alliance. Maybe you came here today and you know that you have a big decision in front of you. And do I enter into this? God, I just need to know. I need to have that peace. Consider these things. Because we've got to make sure that we seek godly counsel. We have people that can say no to us around us. And they don't, we don't just hear what we want to hear. But again, maybe you've already made those decisions and you have all that regret that's built up inside. God has grace. Just turn your heart toward him. And he'll spare you. He'll look out for you. He'll take care of you no matter where you're at. Can we pray right now? God, I thank you for your people that are here today. And in this moment, I recognize that we're turning our heart toward you for whatever situation we find ourselves in. I pray for the ones who are here today that are facing a decision, that you would give them wisdom, that you would speak truth to them even if it hurts. God, right now, in front of our church family, I recognize, God, there's things in my life that I need to make decisions on, and sometimes it's not easy, it's hard. 
but you're calling me to say yes to the truth so that freedom can reign. I pray for ones that are living with regret today, Father, because of decisions they've made in the past. I pray that as we turn our hearts toward you right now, that you would spare us, you'd look out for us, you would make a new way and a new path, Father, because your plans for us are good. And I pray, God, that right now you would wrap your arms of love and mercy around those who have that regret, maybe even shame for decisions that they've made, and that you would let them know just how much you love them. I pray that you would mend hearts in a relationship, mend hearts in marriage, and I pray that you would give confidence back to those people who need to dream a new dream for the big things that you still have in front of them today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, we talked about turning our hearts toward God. Maybe you're here today and you love the idea of having God's blessing and God's favor upon your life, but if you're just being honest, you'd say, Zach, I'm not even in a relationship with God. That, of course, is the very first step that we take if we want to experience God's best for our life. But not only that, it's recognizing that we're lost without him. Scripture tells us that all of us, every single one of us, have fallen short of God's perfection because of our sin, because of our mistakes, because of our failures. And God saw that, and that was what caused us to be distant from him. But in the midst of that distance, in the midst of our failure, God loved us so much that he sent his perfection, his son, Jesus, to this earth to live a sinless, spotless life and go to the cross and die a death that he did not deserve for our sins, all so that you and I could be brought back into relationship with him. If we would simply accept that sacrifice that Jesus made, make him our Lord and our Savior, choose to follow him all the days of our life, we can enter into a relationship with God knowing that we have his purposes for this life, but more importantly, we have salvation and we have eternity with God when this life comes to an end. If you've never committed your life to Christ, I would love to lead you in a prayer. It's nothing mysterious or magical. It's just a simple confession with a belief in your heart that Christ, I want to follow you. We're gonna pray a prayer in just a moment and I wanna invite every single person in the house to pray it out loud with me. We'll say it all together so that everybody can get in on this. We're not gonna embarrass you, but we wanna give you this opportunity to do this right now. So would you repeat after me and say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that your death is full payment for my sin. So today, I make you the Lord of my life. I will follow you. I will learn your ways all the days of my life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to conclude service here in just a moment, but I want to just say that this might be the most important thing we'll do all morning. And if you made a decision to follow Christ today, we want to help you start your journey of faith. We have a little gift, a simple tool we'd love to put in your hands. It's called the Next Seven Days. And as soon as service is over, we're going to have some prayer teams right down here at the front near the stage. If you walk up to one of our prayer teams and let them know you made a decision to follow Christ, we will give this gift to you. Just let them know, hey, I made that decision. I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. If you need prayer today, you want someone just to stand with you and agree with you, that's why our prayer teams are here. Please come and take advantage of that. Let them pray with you for whatever it is you're going through. And if you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Let them know you made that decision. They'll give you the book and help you get started in your journey of faith. We are glad you made that decision and we want to congratulate you. Can we just put our hands together and welcome people into the family of God this morning? Awesome. Pastor Corey? Amen, amen. Hey, what a great message this morning, huh? I love that message. Fantastic. 
You know, it's the moment in our service where we get to worship God with our giving. And, and as Pastor Zach was talking about alliances and alignment, I just thought to myself, I want every single part of my life to be aligned with the will of God. And that includes my finances. And so I just want to say thank you for being such an amazing and generous church. Um, as your guys' next-gen pastor, um, I find myself often so thankful for a church that believes in the next generation. Super, super quick story. I was out to lunch last week with a young man who just graduated from high school. It was a young man who, who's begun feeling the call of ministry on his life, only one problem. He hasn't grown up in a family where there's any sort of ministry in his family. So much so, he had no clue to call it ministry. All he knew was God was calling him to do what, quote, you do. Pastor Zach does. Pastor Nick does. I feel called to do what you do. And I said, you mean ministry? And he goes, I guess. And I just thought to myself, what a special place where there's young people like that who their entire future can be altered, shifted. God can change the trajectory of their life. And can I tell you, none of it happens. We know, and we say this all the time, none of it happens without a faithful God and faithful people like you. So as your next-gen pastor, um, someone who oversees uh, young adults, high school, junior high, and kids, this week we're having kids camp. We got over 430 kids signed up for camp. We're anticipating much, much more. And you guys are a part of that. So thank you so, so much. There's a few options on the screen, ways that you can give, whatever's most convenient for you. If you have a physical gift today, you want to give in person, there are envelopes in your chair backs. There's two places that you could give, uh, giving stations right before you get to the foyer on either side of the doors and then right near our kids' uh, entrance over there as well. So be blessed as you give. Hey, two quick, quick things before we go. Next week, somebody say next week. Next week's July 3rd, and we are doing one of our favorite things around here called Sunday Fun Day. That means a handful of things. That means, number one, we're going to do one service at 10 a.m. Come hang out. It's going to be absolutely awesome. One of our favorite things that we do around here. And what we're going to be doing, we're going to be celebrating our freedom together as a church family. So we're going to have some food vendors. We're going to have inflatables for the kids to have fun, games, all of that. We're going to be hanging out outside after service. There's going to be a DJ. It's going to be super, super awesome. You do not want to miss it. Make your plans to bring your family. Come hang out with us on Sunday, fun day. The last thing is tomorrow's kids camp. So a few things there. One, pray for us. Pray for these kids. There are so many families who bring their kids to our kids' camp who don't come to church here, who don't call the bridge home, many of which who don't go to church at all. Let's believe that God's going to work through kids' camp. Kids are going to get saved. Families are going to be reached. God is going to work. Also, if you have kids and you're sitting here right now going, oh, no. I forgot to register my kids. You are not counted out. You're not out of luck. We have day of registration available. So just uh, for all the details on that, go online. You'll be able to register tomorrow. No worries. We're anticipating a lot more kids to be signed up. Typically, we have 100 to 150 kids sign up day of, often Thursday, bring a friend day. Um, we see 100 to 150 kids show up then. We're believing for, anticipating maybe as many as 700 
100 kids to be in this building this week. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? I know I have. Hey, have an amazing week. Be praying for us. We love you so, so much.